Good morning. Whoo, he is risen. Amen. Yes, he is risen indeed. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful morning to be here this morning. I, I wish your smiling faces were here with me, but I can imagine them in the pew right now. I can imagine where everybody sits. Uh, maybe I should have got some printed off some name tags and taped them on the pews. I don't know. But uh, it is a wonderful morning to be together this way, uh, to worship the Lord and the validity of His resurrection. Man, what a great morning uh, to come together and worship God. I pray that God finds you well this morning. Um, I know it's a bummer that we're not together, and I know that all the things we wanted to do didn't get to happen. Because I'll admit, I did not expect my first Easter in La Pen, Texas was going to be without the church. But you know what? We don't have to be together physically to be together in heart. Amen? That's what we're doing this morning. So let's pray. Let's open our service today and let's have some worship and then we'll, we'll move on from there. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would be with us today, Father. Work through our music. Work through our the message. Allow us to have a time of worship where we worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen. I can't tell you how excited I am to be in the house of the Lord today. You know what? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, the call of worship, um, a story I heard from East Texas, the call of worship had just been announced starting Easter Sunday morning service in this East Texas church, and the choir started its processional, singing, up from the grave he arose, as they marched in perfect step down the center aisle to the front of the church. Well, the last lady was wearing shoes with very slender heels, and without a thought, for her fancy heels, she marched towards the grating that covered the hot air register in the middle of the aisle. And suddenly, the heel of one shoe sank in the hole on the register grate. In a flash, she recognized her predicament, and not wishing to hold up the whole congregation, she, without missing a step, she slipped her foot out of her shoe and continued marching down the aisle. There wasn't a hitch. The processional moved on just like clockwork. But the first man after her spotted the situation without missing a step. He reached down and pulled up her shoe, but the entire grate came up with it. He was surprised, but he kept singing, and he kept on going down the aisle, holding in his hand the grate with the shoe attached. Everything still worked like clockwork, still in tune, still in step. The next man, however, stepped into the open register and disappeared from sight. The service took on a special meaning that Sunday, for just as the choir ended with, Hallelujah, Christ arose, a voice was heard under the church shouting, I hope all of you are out of the way, because I'm coming out now. Well, the little girl closest to the aisle shouted, Well, come on, Jesus, we'll stay out of your way. That's the kind of story that, that makes us laugh, but it is the truth of, of resurrection, is it not that that we're, that Jesus came out? There's truth in that. You ever watch the History Channel or the Discovery Channel or any of those types of networks that, that teach you things supposedly? You know, always at this time, 
They have shows this time of year about Jesus. They're trying to prove or, or disprove miracles. They're trying to show historical validity to some claims and, 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 and disprove other claims. They're pondering the nature of the resurrection. Did he come back to life? Was this a, a, a metaphorical resurrection? And, and some of the shows, well, most of the shows actually, end with uh, some catchy thought. We may never know the truth. About three to six years ago, I was watching one of these shows and they had some good historical evidence. They spent a lot of time explaining uh, some great things about Jesus and, and how there is some historical significance to who he was. It was clear that they believed in the historical person of Jesus. And they, they set out to show that he was really a person who walked the earth. And in the end, I was shocked because it said, Believers in the Easter story of Jesus are in for a shock. Because all they'll find is empty promises. I was shocked, though, because I actually agree with them. Because the truth is, Easter is based on empty promises. And the joy and shock of Easter are the empty promises it contains. So let's look at the account this morning in Luke chapter 24. And let's see the empty promises of Easter. Luke chapter 24 Starting in verse 1, says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? saying, the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things, but these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stood up, stooped in to look, he saw only the linen cloths, so he went home amazed at what had happened. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time. Father, use it for your glory. Father, share with us this morning the empty promises of Easter. Make us aware of the things that you have for us. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his sake. And all God's people said. Sit down because I feel like, man, it's a story, you know. I probably won't stay sitting. I can't preach sitting down. The story of the resurrection is one that has always enthralled me. Because we have a tendency to just to say these verses and we're done, but these verses are just a description of what happened. Imagine it's early Sunday morning and the Marys are on their way to the tomb. They were last at the tomb two nights ago on Friday when Joseph took down Jesus' body and placed him in the tomb shortly before dusk. They even helped prepare his body a bit. 
before the stone was rolled over it. It's early. They're on their way to the tomb. It's dawn, but still a little dark because the sun hasn't come up yet. They were going back to do a full prep. They had all the spices with them. They were, they were going to do everything they could do for Jesus' body. I mean, he was, he was dead. Their leader, their brother, their Lord. He was dead. I imagine it was a quiet walk. You know, typically, if you've been around any, any people of Jewish heritage, when, when you get a group of Jewish women together, they're usually not, not, not quiet, but this, this morning, I have a feeling they were pretty quiet. They had walked half the way um, already, and at a rise in the hill, they, they stop, and they stare. They stand motionless, quiet, afraid to make a sound. Because off in the distance, a little outside of town, if you look just a little bit, you might be able to see it. There's a little hill, a place that uh, the locals call the skull, Golgotha. And two days ago, it was the site of a very gruesome event. You see, there on that hill, there still stands the remains of three crosses. And the one in the middle means so much to them because there on the one in the middle is probably at its base still laying a crown of thorns. Probably there somewhere near its base is laying the three nails that were driven into his wrist and into his feet. There's probably still blood on the post that's standing up from where they, where they speared him in the side to make sure he was dead. Because you know there was so much blood from the beating he took, his he wasn't so much wounded as he was but a wound on the cross. They stop and they stare. As the sun illuminates the place of his death. You know, some have tried to say that Jesus was faking it. They were even saying in this women's time that Jesus was faking it. But these women knew better. They had seen him die. They had seen him put in the grave. Honestly, everyone knew better. Everyone knew that he wasn't faking it. The soldiers, they had seen with their own eyes the events of that day. They had seen with their own eyes the hill of Golgotha. They had seen with their own eyes the darkness that covered the land. They had seen with their own eyes him crying out to his father. And even one of the soldiers had testified, surely this is the Son of God. The Romans, you know, Pilate had labeled Jesus a king himself. And the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, oh. There was a Jewish proverb that said, if a man is the Messiah, let him prove it by tearing the curtain down. That's why they crucified him overlooking the city. That's why they wanted him to overlook the temple. They wanted him to see his failure. They wanted him to see that as he died that he did not do what needed to be done. But they found out he was telling the truth because the curtain came down. These groups even made a lie to cover it up. They made a lie to cover it up. But he was dead. 
That's later. He was dead. And the cross stood there on the hill to prove it. The empty cross is our first empty promise of Easter. The empty cross gives us the promise that our sins are forgiven. You see, the cross didn't have to be empty. The cross could have stayed there. They, they could have left the bodies there. Because it was Romans doing it. The Romans didn't care about Jewish law. They didn't care about the Passover. It didn't matter to them. They could have left him there. They could have left him on the tree. But because Scripture said certain things had to happen, Jesus had to come off. The empty cross is there to prove to us that our sins are forgiven. They've been paid for. The price was high, but the bill was paid. Every sin that was ever committed, every heinous act, every hideous thing, everything you can think of, Jesus took and nailed to that cross. And when he died on the cross, they died with him. The bill was paid. You know, sin isn't a politically correct word in our society. People don't like to hear the word sin. They don't like to hear that they could sin. But guess what? The Bible is clear. We are all sinners. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. That is just simply the truth. But through the sacrifice of the cross, we're forgiven. According to the Scriptures, being sinful means we deserve death. Those are our wages on the cross. The cross is what I should have endured. The punishment Jesus endured should have been ours. It should have been mine. It should have been yours. His agony should have fallen on me. His pain should have fallen on you. Jesus paid the price, the full price. And it's been paid. It's done. It's finished. His, by His wounds, the, the Bible tells us we are healed. It was on that cross that Jesus offered His perfect, sinless life on behalf of each one of us. No one else has done that. Nobody else is the Son of God. God incarnate, the Creator of the world who took on flesh and lived a perfect, sinless life only to give that life for our sins. No other Bible hero did that. Father Abraham didn't do that. Moses didn't do that. Elijah didn't do that. David didn't do that. Samson didn't do that. Gideon didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. Only Jesus has accomplished this. That is why the Bible tells us there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. As he hung on that cross, he breathed his last and cried, It is finished. It's completed. The work is done. The bill is paid. Guilt is forgiven. Death is destroyed. In that moment, we were free. In that instance, we were given the chance to be made pure. We were given the chance to become holy, righteous children of God. Because of the cross, we had the ability to cross the curtain that divides the holy from the mundane. We can stand before a holy God and be viewed as blameless. Our guilt is no more. Our sins are washed clean. Yes, our first empty promise is the promise of the empty cross, which holds out the offer of forgiveness from sins. But back to our ladies. They've stood on the hill seeing Golgotha. This was a very close area. These were the shadows of what they were seeing. And they finally find the courage and the strength to go on. But they begin to wonder. They probably begin to talk. Who is going to move the stone? 
They had watched as a regiment of soldiers had, had sealed the tomb. They had watched as the stone had been moved into place by a whole bunch of strong men. And here, these women were going, and they needed a way inside. They didn't know how. But then, they felt the earth move. Maybe they fell to the ground as the earth shook. And then they got back up and they had to have been wondering what could this mean? And it had been quite a strange few days. On Friday, there had been darkness in the middle of the day. There had been an earthquake that day too and there were rumors that people who were dead came out of the grave. There had been chaos as, as priests tried desperately to keep the eyes of the men off the Holy of Holies once the curtain came down. All of this in the midst of the Passover celebration. They regained their composure and proceed. But as they approach the burial site, they're still wondering about what happened when they come upon something even more remarkable. The soldiers, well, they're unconscious. <laughs> they're asleep. They're like dead men. At least those who were still there. So now who are we going to get to move the stone? And then they look. And they see. The stone's been moved. Now, usually... We tell this story and we jump for joy because the stone's been moved. And so, and, and we, we think, oh, this must have been a, a good thing. But imagine what these ladies really felt. The tomb had been closed and sealed was now open. Jesus was inside and He wasn't fully prepared for burial. These ladies came to finish the task. And part of what they need in that desert environment is for the tomb to be cold, the tomb to be sealed. And so those ladies probably all at once looked at each other thinking, how horrible is this? The Lord's body is open to the elements and the animals. They rush in hoping to save what's left. But then they enter. And they find the tomb empty. The tomb is it's, it's empty. There's, there's no one here. There's nobody here. The tomb is empty. and What a tremendous promise that holds for us. I've heard that possums are uh, smart animals. You wouldn't think so because you hardly ever see one except for when it's dead on the road. But there's a joke that goes... What did the chicken, why did the chicken cross the road? To prove to the possum that it could be done. But honestly, possums are smart animals. They won't enter a hole if there's just one set of tracks going into it. They know that there's something in there. But if there are two sets of tracks, the possum will enter and not be afraid. The message of Easter is that we can enter the grave We don't have to fear death because there are tracks leading out of the tomb. 
Paul preached the proclamation of Easter. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? This is the message that we need to hear this Easter. Jesus is risen. For in the fact of the empty tomb is the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. The empty tomb gives us the promise that we too will be raised to eternal life. For those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, death has lost its sting. We are promised everlasting life. We are promised that when we close our eyes here, we will open them there. Death is not something to be afraid of. There was a father once traveling down the road, a country road, on a hot summer afternoon with his son when a bee flew in the window. The son was deathly allergic to bees. And the boy began to panic as the bee buzzed all around inside the car. And seeing the horror on his child's face, this father reached over and grabbed the bee out of the air and closed his hand on it. And he held it there for a few moments. And then he opened his hand and the bee flew out and started buzzing around. And the boy went to panic again because the bee was again buzzing in the car. And the father reached over and said, Look, son, relax. He showed him the stinger in his palm and he said, I took the sting. The bee can't hurt you anymore. The empty tomb is God's way of saying to us, relax, my child, I took the sting. Death can't hurt you anymore. Why was the tomb empty? Because Jesus is alive. What they found instead were two angels. And what the angel's response? It was telling why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for life in the place of death? This speaks volumes to our world today. People put their trust in the system of the world. Their hope is built on a dying foundation. Why do we look to places of death expecting to find life? Why do we trust the security of money or of success or power or status? When our trust is in these things, we trust in death. For all of these things will perish, but Jesus lives on. The promise of the empty tomb is that someday we too will live life after this life. Death is not the end for those who love Jesus. We are promised so much more than a cold tomb. We are promised life everlasting with our Lord. The empty tomb promises us that. But back to our story. The tomb's empty. And we don't know where Jesus is. We better go tell the boys. So they run back to town. I picture them running. They may not have ran. They went back to town. They found Peter and, 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 the, and the disciples. And they say, Peter, John, Peter, John, Peter. Uh, Jesus, the tomb, uh, soldiers sleeping. Uh, it's open. There's nobody there. The cloths are left. Jesus is gone. Jesus is gone. But Peter, of course, he takes off running to the tomb because... What that said, Scripture says it sounded like nonsense to them. He ran to the tomb and he looked in. And he finds the empty grave clothes. Now this promise is especially important. Jesus is alive. If someone had stolen his body, they wouldn't have removed the burial clothes and folded them up neatly and put them where they lay. Truly, Jesus was resurrected. Soon he was going to appear to Mary, the disciples, and over 500 others. But he didn't just appear. He wasn't just a ghost. He would sit down with them, walk with them, talk with them, eat with them. Once again, they'll be able to fellowship with their Lord. The empty burial clothes gives us the promise that Jesus is alive and wants to fellowship with you. Jesus isn't some religious force out in the atmosphere wanting to control everything. 
He's not simply a leader who lived and died 2,000 years ago. He's the living Savior who wants to have a personal relationship with us, just as he did with the disciples 2,000 years ago. Think on that for a minute. Jesus, the one and only, the cross couldn't hold him. The tomb couldn't contain him. The burial clothes were unnecessary because Jesus is alive. He has skin. He has bones. He has a face. He was recognizable. He talked and touched and loved and healed. He did it on the day of his resurrection, and he still does it today. And most importantly, he wants to do it with you. So I have a question for you this morning. Do you know Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ? Not know about him. Know him. We can know about people and not know them. I know about Mark Cuban. I know about Tom Hanks. I know about Ewan McGregor. I know about Michael Jordan, but I don't know them. There's a difference. You can know Jesus. You can have a relationship with Jesus. You can know his love and his healing and his care and his forgiveness. That first Easter, as the women went to the grave, they had no idea what was about to happen to them. They weren't yet aware of the wonderful promises of that day. They weren't sure what was going to happen. They didn't know that there were promises to be made. The empty promise of the empty cross. The promise of their sins were forgiven. The promise of the empty tomb the, the promise of eternal life, the empty burial clothes, the promise that they would once again have a close, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, their living Savior. The promises that day they discovered, you too can have today. You too can know the freedom of forgiven sins. You can know the promise of eternal life in heaven. You can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It just takes a decision. It just takes faith. It just takes saying yes, Lord. Maybe today what you needed was this, to rekindle the fire in your life. I hope that's what happened for you today. Maybe today you needed to rededicate yourself. I hope you do that. But this morning, where I want to speak, what I want to say to you is if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, now is the time to do it. What better day to raise to new life in your life than the day that Jesus rose to life in His? What better day to do that? If you, know, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, when I pray here in just a moment, pray with me. Pray with me and make that choice today. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised five minutes from now, but we're promised this moment. And in this moment, make that choice. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would move among us, Father, make every need known. Allow us To walk away from here refreshed, knowing the result of the empty promises of Easter. Father, if there's anyone listening who does not know you, I pray that they'd pray with me now. Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior. Father, please forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Jesus, be my Lord. And let me follow you, Father. And when I die, bring me to heaven to be by your side. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Guys, I'm hoping in a few weeks' time we'll be back together. But until then, 
We'll continue doing what we're doing now, making sure that we have time together like this, time together on Facebook, time together with phone calls and however else we need to do it, making sure that we are reaching out and loving on each other. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he give you rest in this world as you learn to trust in the empty promises of the resurrection. Be blessed today in all that you do. Until next time, guys, love each other deeply from the heart. Be blessed today. Happy Easter.